Hello, and welcome to another episode of the David Watson podcast. As always, I genuinely can't thank you enough for listening, for tuning in. I really appreciate everybody that shares, likes, subscribes. It helps with the algorithm. It helps me and it helps me get more guests. So for everybody that supports me, thank you so much. Now, today's guest, John Smith. So much to talk to him about. We're going to, at some point, hopefully do another podcast. But he's toured. He's done tours in Afghanistan, Iraq. He's worked at a private contractor. He's been shot. And he happens to have his own um, training school where he teaches uh, jiu-jitsu grappling and is the business partner of Kevin, who I had on a couple of weeks ago. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to him, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Two, one. So due to some technical difficulties, Welcome for a second time to the David Watson podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you for that second welcome. I uh, really appreciate it. And thank you for, for asking me uh, to come on your show. Uh, as I mentioned before, was, I thought this would be quite unique podcast. It's not the normal one I've done before. So um, I'm intrigued and I'm looking forward to it. No, absolutely. And, and big shout out to Kevin uh, for doing the introduction because I had Kevin on a couple of weeks ago. And we are going to get into the catch wrestling. Um, but as I said, you very kindly sent me a YouTube link. Um, and it was from an episode of Enemy at the Gates, Afghanistan, A History of Violence. And there's a wonderful line in there about three quarters of the way through the video. And it says, and I'm reading the quote, I've never been shot before, but I knew I'd been hit. And it felt like I'd been hit in the hand with a baseball bat. And then you went on to say, and I was really pissed off because I was supposed to be training that that night. And that was my grappling hand. And I knew I'd have to it ruin my holiday that I had planned in two weeks. That's extremely true. Um, <laughs> so I've never been hit with a baseball bat either. So <laughs> I, I was assu I'm assuming that's what it, I'm, I'm assuming that's what it feels like getting hit with a bat as well. Um, yeah, I was pissed off. Um, I look forward to training every night, and that would that had been put a stop to that. But also, training trip to Thailand being booked for six months, and that was down the pan as well. And I was like, I was fuming. I was absolutely fuming. <laughs> it is, and, and to give people some background, you were a contractor for the Foreign Office. Is that correct? Uh, doing personal protection. I was a contractor, contractor for the Foreign Office. So we for a security company. And we were providing security for British uh, government and diplomats and some other agencies. And the the place where you were all living was attacked by some Afghan insurgents. And effectively, you guys had to take them on. And in that process, you got shot. Yeah, that's true. Um, we're, we're obviously a target every day. Um, the threat at the time was extremely high from the Taliban. And an offshoot of the Taliban, they had planned an attack on us a few months before, uh, unsuccessful, and they tried again uh, that night, which, again, uh, in terms, uh, on, the whole, on the whole of it, unsuccessful again. Um, I led the counter-attack onto the team that came in that night. And... Because this is one of the things that I find fascinating about the subject of mindset is how do you, when you're in that, because you're in that situation and it, the shit is literally hit, hitting the fan and you've taken a bullet. But through that conversation that I, I um, watched on YouTube, there's this whole conversation about, right, two people are still good. I'm now basically a hindrance, but I still have a job to do and a responsibility to do. Where, how do you manage that mindset? I think it's all through training. Uh, training, uh, if you look at what, to that point of that day that happened, I've been training for 23 years. Um, I have a combat experience from both wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, I, you could say I'm indoctrinated as well with the will to win and the will to fight. Um, some people 
really ex- excel in that area. Um, I'm not saying I excel in that, but I, I look for that. If if that sort of situation is ongoing anywhere, I want to be there. Um, some people don't like doing it. For me, sort of, I, I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, you go, oh, I was made to do that. This is what I'm made to do. And a lot of it is through training. A lot of it is indoctrination and experience. So when you say through training, because people, it's, where does that training begin? Because before you can end up in a a situation with insurgents, there's, you know, training comes in levels. So where would it begin? It begins when you're 16 years of age and you're traveling to, you're traveling down across the country as as a young boy, 16, and you arrive at a a military training camp and there's a bunch of grown men who are going to indoctrinate you and train you and mold you into what they want you to be. And, And that's what happened. That's where it all stems from. And that's not an overnight thing. And it's not a a week, a month thing. Training finishes after 32 weeks, I think it is. And even then you're not ready. Even then you're not ready. It's okay. I I think around the age of 27, I felt comfortable in my job. And I've been doing it since I was 16. And at 27, I felt I'm in my prime here. This is what I'm good at this. I understand it. I understand the concept of war. I understand my role in that war, um, my small piece of it, and I feel like I can flourish yeah. uh, with a sense of flair as well, with a little bit of flair. Um, I've just felt comfortable in that arena, but it took all those years of trial and error, failure, um, being told that's not good enough, uh, being told, yeah, this is good enough, this is what we want. And, and for me... I think you just got to do them basics well. If you do the basics well, you're good. Um, once the basics are nailed down, that's when you can start, sort of, sort of, like I said, then you can add that flair to how you do things. And it's the same in war. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, it takes a long time, I think. Some people probably a lot sooner than others. But for me, where I felt comfortable in my own skin and I didn't think anything could phase me was what that. So 16, so 20, 11 years. Yeah, feeling comfortable there. Because you said something I found interesting there is basics. And I do think lots of people misunderstand the importance of just hold back. If you can get the basics to an expert level, you, you in practice, when, when you're put under pressure, uh, are five steps ahead of the guy who should supposedly be better than you. Because your foundation is solid. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, from war fighting all the way to like sport grappling, what we do now, that them, getting them basics right. And I was told it from a, you know, a really young age. I had a guy called uh, Mo, uh, Mo Morris. He was my training instructor in training. Uh, unfortunately, he's not with us right now. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. But he, j- he just told me, John, he said, John, just find someone who's better than you. Mm. and copy what they do and then make it your own and he was he was the guy who said look the basics just do the basics well and then everything else will fall into place um if you don't get them basics right you, you can't do all the other stuff you can't do the exciting stuff and when it really matters you'll trip up so yeah basics for me are everything it's it's funny i don't know why it popped in my head but i'll go with it i i remember don't remember exactly when it was. It was a long time ago. It was when I passed my driving test and I passed first time. And there was this lady, Betty, was my driving instructor. And she said something to me that really made sense. She said, the only reason people fail is because they try to do something they haven't been shown to do. All right. So shout out to Betty anyway. Yeah. So my driving instructor, Betty, said to me, if you haven't been shown how to do it, don't do it. Because people only fail because they tried to do something they weren't shown how to do. Yeah. And that's all I did throughout that driving test. Was, I didn't think, what has she shown me? What hasn't she shown me? I just imagined I was on a driving lesson. And what did what Betty would just tell me what to do, and I'd just do it as she tells me how to do it. And that's what I did throughout the entire test. And I passed with flying colours. Yeah. It's having, that, it's having them people who understand that, who can then 
share that knowledge with you and you take that knowledge on. A lot of people don't take that on. I'm, I was so fortunate. You know, a lot of people try and get this mindset stuff, uh, you know, at a later age or the, 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 for me, it was put on me from day one. And I had all these, I mean, I was 16. I, I wasn't even, I was no way should have I been in that environment as it is. I wasn't ready for it looking back at it now. Um, I should never have been there, really. I'm a kid. Like, I look at my kids and I go, you would not be able to do what I did. There's no way. I wouldn't let them, for one, either. I wouldn't let them. But at 16... Different time. Different time. I've got these grown men, you know, 20, late 20s, early 30-odd-year-old men who I'm looking up to. And some of them are just really good. And they just part the knowledge onto you and they take you under the wing and they go, this is how it's done. All you got to do, it's like the blueprint. They've got the blueprint of how it's done. All you got to do is take that blueprint and follow it. And I went off track a few times, don't get me wrong. I never followed that all the time. <laughs> you know, it, it took me that, like say that 11 years where I, I finally nailed that blueprint. I was like, no, this is it. This is it. I've got this nailed now. I've talked about this in videos where it's like, look, none of this is actually rocket science because there is somebody that's always already set a bar has already shown you how to do it and you have the blueprint it's actually really simple but that doesn't make it easy mm. because you've then got to put into practice the thousands of hours that they did to not only achieve close to their accomplishments but to get to the level and standard that they're at and that for me is where most people trip up is it's not the the knowledge it's the impetus to actually all right so this is going to take me five years like when i was talking to kevin because he's just got his black belt and i think he said it was 11 or 12 years of hard graft but it's that mindset to jump okay where will i be in a decade mm. yeah it's something like that get your black belts it's yeah. immense it's a long time you can't think of it in 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 time but also what you've got, when you're looking at timelines like that, like 10, 11 years, and it doesn't have to be in jujitsu like what we, like what we're doing now. It could be like, like the way, um, there's so many distractions on that, on that 11 year point, 12 year point, and distractions can knock you back so much. Uh, and for me, they did, I, I would say, you know, being that young guy, you're heavily influenced then by people who, who haven't got the same sort of goals as you and, you know, as a young age, you influenced a lot. I was living abroad, so it's partying, let's go out drinking, and that sort of derails you. And then you can get into a little bit of trouble because of your actions that you're partaking, and then you're derailed again. And it just took a, it took longer, I think, than it should have for me. I always had that, I always had that skill, that desire, mm. but it was just about piecing it all together for me. I had so many little parts that were just not gelling, right. And then once they gelled, that was it. It was game on. I do actually think that there is some, like I have a theory that a lot of the difficulties that people are facing today is they don't have a lot. Cause I had lots of trouble in my twenties, you know, and as I've said to you earlier, I, you know, the reason I, I, I live back at home with my mum, she ended up bankrupt and got into trouble with the police and all of that um, in my, in my late twenties. And when I look back on that period of time, it's because I just didn't have any idea of what I wanted to do. And, and I mean, I didn't even know if I, if I wanted to be fit or not be fit. I didn't know if I wanted to be clean living or not clean living. I didn't have any idea about anything. So I had no sense of purpose to follow a direction where there, there might be an end point, you know, because without focus on something, it just becomes chaos and destruction. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think... For me, it was the same. We never had, you know, being in the army and, and in that time I joined in 96 and there was nothing really going on. So it was just training. And I know lots of good guys who left because that's all we did was training. And they're like, well, is this it? I might as well go and do something else. But to be honest, I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I stayed because I didn't have any other skill set and I'd been there for such a long time. Um, so I didn't have a, like a backup plan and some people didn't have a backup plan left anyway. And a lot of them have spoken to now and they're like, oh, I wish I stayed. Yeah. But at that time there was no really like sort of, you're like, you train for war, you train for war, you do all this and then you don't really do it. You're just training. Yeah. It's like, and you're like, Oh, it's like doing, it's like doing sports. 
now I like jujitsu now. And a lot of the guys, they don't want to compete. I'm cool with that. But that was like for me back as a young guy, we were just, I couldn't compete doing all yeah. this training, but not competing. Um, so it only sort of went once like sort of 9-11 happened and we all got a focus then. Um, and uh, you become focused big time then because you know it's, 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 it's imminent. So you've got to really switch on with your game. And that's something as well, because I think people is, it's important to understand with when we're talking about mindset is because in those environments, like you said, everybody's from different backgrounds. So there's lots of different personalities, but you all come together as a company, platoon, regiment, however you want to describe it. And because of 9-11, you've got focus, but everybody has to turn up and deliver. So it goes to demonstrate that actually although you can say we're all individual there's commonalities that we all have that with the right approach with the right focus coaching mentoring and structure actually everybody's mindset can be the same mm. yeah um i agree to a certain degree there um i do remember having some you know some long conversations with some of the other commanders at the time before we before we went out to iraq the first time and we were like, some of these young guys, they're just not getting it. They're really not. And mm. they don't realize that there's a life on the line here and they need to switch on. Now, all of us older, I was 27 then when I deployed for Iraq. So I was like, you know, adult then. I feel like I was an adult. Yeah. Um, but you got these young lads who are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and you're like, they're not getting it. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was until like you started losing people, which we did, that they really switched on. Yeah. Um, because it took a while. It really did. And I said to a few of my to the teammates, like, we're going to lose some of these guys, you know, because they're, they're just not getting it. Um, and luckily, them lads didn't, but it was the, it was like the really good lads we lost, the, the top lads, uh, unfortunately. But I was yeah, finding... Sorry, I was going to say, I always find in, in any kind of situation like that, and obviously when you're in a, a war zone, it's the worst because the only time somebody's going to figure it out and switch on is when the mistake has been made. And if, if you're in an everyday environment at work, it's just a cock up and work that gets you a written warning. And, you know, potentially that screws up your mortgage and, and the wife's going to have a go at you sort of thing. But in, in a war zone, that's a life lost. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. Life lost, uh, you know, a loss of limb, loss of life. Um, and mistakes happen anyway all the time, but we just don't need to add to them by, yeah. you know, being incompetent or not thinking clearly, uh, not understanding the whole picture. And I think that's what some of those young guys sort of struggled with. And I, you know what, looking back, do I blame them? I remember when I was a young guy yeah. coming up in the ranks and, and there was times where... I'd watch a guy, you know, I'd be amazed at how he moved about and like the the thinking that you do. People think like being an infantier or whatever, like, you know, really stupid you lot because, you know, yeah. you, you, you're not qualified to do anything else. But the amount of thinking and the thought process that goes into what we do is unbelievable. It's so complex. So actually looking at, looking back, I remember being like 17, 18, 19 and, and, and just seeing my commander like cut about and I was like, oh. I don't even understand what he's doing, you know. And that's experience, though, isn't it? Yeah. So you know, I've never really thought about it like that till now. Till the conversations come up. So maybe, maybe that was the same for those young lads. Where we're expecting a lot from them, but I think we had to expect a lot because, like you say, it's not training no more. It's it's the real deal. Yeah. And one of the things that I again you said earlier is you were a sixteen-year-old that got on a train <laughs> to go and join the army. What was the circumstances at 16 that made you do that? Because that's massively stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, I think I always wanted to. I loved oh, right. war movies. Yeah, I love yeah. war movies. I um, love Rambo. I love Schwarzenegger movies. I love Vietnam movies. That's, I was playing with toy guns up until the age of where I shouldn't have been playing with toy guns. Like, come on, you're a little bit old for playing with toy guns now. Um, you still so are, was, but they're just real. Yeah, they're just real now. <laughs> so... I had, I always had that thought that I love putting camouflage cream on. I love yeah. playing in the dirt and hiding, you know, yeah. hide and seek, manhunt. I was never get caught. I was always the last guy, you know. So for me, um, and I'd started like a, 
I'd done a couple of little jobs. I'd left school, didn't concentrate in school. And that, that kicked me in the ass in a later life because, you know, you, you're having to go redo your GCSE stuff and all yeah. that as an adult. It's really hard now because, <laughs> you know, you wasted that time. So <clears throat> I just wasted time in school. Bit of a joker. Like to mess about. Didn't do very well. Didn't take it seriously. But my parents didn't push me that hard either. So, you know, I was never pushed, pushed, pushed like we do with our kids. Yeah. You know, they, they pushed hard to, you know, to try and do good. So started a job that I didn't like uh, as an apprentice plasterer. So I was working on the uh, working on the sites and I was working really hard for next to no money. And I was I was working in Liverpool one day and I just got it into my head. I'm like, I'm going to go to the recruitment office and get this done. And that's what I did. I just went down there, signed up, and that was it. Done. I was on. So that's, that, in a sense, was um, a lucky break because you would because like no, normally when often when people take a big leap like that, it's because there's something going on and they're like, they're shitting themselves, but it's just, it can't be worse than this. Whereas you weren't, you were like, fucking Frank, fuck you, wait, I'll show you what Rambo's about, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, to be honest, I had no role models growing up. Yeah. I had me mates, that was it. Like mm. family, uncles and all that, they weren't role models. My, pet, my dad, definitely not a role model. <laughs> no, <laughs> my, my dad wasn't, you know. Yeah, all of them were all on the wrong side of the law, every one of them. Yeah, yeah. So, my, my uncle was like that. <laughs> yeah, all my uncles and my dad. Yeah. So. My, my dad wasn't like that, but my dad was My dad was actually free ally, which Is later it? became the Rifles. Yeah, he was free yeah, ally. Yeah. Um, and I was going to join the army. My dad talked me out of it. He was just like, no, you'll never like it. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. And it wasn't until ma- many years later I realised it was because he hated the army. I'd have yeah. probably done. I think if I'd have got to the army and had a good corporal and a good sergeant at the beginning, who taught me the you know taught me the ropes because you know it's like the army. If you, if you get the wrong commanding officer or the wrong sergeant, you're going to get drilled and you're not going to enjoy it. But if I, if I had one that was a, a, a good a good guy, he's like, come on, you can do better than that. Come on, Watson, we expect more from you, and you can do better. I think I'd have thrived. I think I'd have done well and probably done a full twenty-two or you know done done a good stint and come out with some pride. But it was my dad that's like, no, the army's shit. You won't like it. You won't like it. And it's, it's only like, you know, like to give you an example of what I mean. And anyone in the army will understand this. My dad left after 17 and a half years. And you're like, you're wow. five, five years off your 22. You right. know, we're well, six months off your 18. And there's three. No, you, so you, you can't, you know, nobody leaves after 17 and a half years, you know, and no. he, he was in free alive, got sent back to, did his last six months with the green jackets in Tidworth and they asked him to stay on. And he was just like, no, you can all, and he's like, who, who leaves after 17 and a half years? Yeah. It's, um, that's a long time to do. So I left only 13 year points. So yeah. I did me halfway, did me halfway. And I was happy with that. Um, well, if he'd just done six more, he'd have got his 18 point. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could have done more. I could have stayed in and the whole thing, but yeah, I was swayed. Swede as well, you know. Yeah, there's, but, there's people making people making money doing yeah. dangerous jobs, and I wasn't making any money doing a dangerous job. So, that, but that's it. For people who don't understand, in the army, you kind of have three important moments. One is twelve years, one is eighteen, yeah. and twenty-two is your final. That's it. You're done, and that comes as payments and pensions. And my dad was well five years off getting max on everything, so. And it kept me, it put me on another operational tour. It's, it's funny. It, it's just funny. But like, like yeah, it, it, anyway, we went down a different tree, uh, off on another branch there. So it's, yeah, because like you say, so you, you kind of got through, did the contracting, and then you've kind of come out of that. So where, what came first, jujitsu or catch wrestling? Well, I wouldn't say I'm a. I wouldn't say I'm a catch wrestler at all. Um, I'm a jujitsu guy, submission grappler. I would call myself a submission grappler, not a catch wrestler. Um, that would be. I call it, if I said that, I'd be a fraud by saying yeah. that. But I'm a submission grappler. That came first. Um, I was leaving the military, and I did the Afghan thing, done the Iraq thing. Really exciting, and I just wanted to do. I needed something else. I needed yeah. that fight, you know, and I'd done a bit of boxing in the army, 
my granddad was a boxer, his granddad, and they were all, you know, good level. Um, so there's that little history of there, my uncle. And so I did a bit of boxing, only a little bit, nothing, nothing great. Um, and then just leaving, I needed something else. And I was like, I knew I needed something. And the, seeing the UFC, I was like, right, I want to do that. I want to do that, like everyone does. But right, I'm like nearly 30. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do that. And I found a little club in Salisbury that trained once a week on a Sunday, run by a bunch of doormen. Um, they were doing this, they were doing this, looking back now, and to what that was, like at the time it was everything to me, that one session was amazing. I was like, wow. Looking back now, I think they were just doing what they could do, the best they yeah. could do with yeah. the knowledge they had. It was, a, it was three doormen set it up themselves. Um, I had a little bit of help from a friend of mine who was in the platoon. He'd done Muay Thai and he'd done some gra- uh, BJJ and he sort of helping me in the week. And I did me one sesh with the guys every Sunday and I just got the bug and I loved it. Um, I did submission grappling for about four years before I started doing jiu-jitsu. So MMA, submission grappling. Um, nothing to any any level to talk about. But no. it set a good foundation for me. Uh, and it sealed the deal that I love doing this. Yeah. I love doing it. Um, the jiu-jitsu came for like four years in. So if anyone doesn't know, the difference between submission grappling and jiu-jitsu is you wear the Japanese uniform for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, right. Okay. You put the kimono on and a belt on. Uh, in the other things, you just wear a pair of shorts and a t-shirt if, if if you want. Yeah, yeah. They are two different sports. They've got two different. The scoring system's different. The point system's different. The, the, it's two different sports, but it's one for me. And I sort yeah. of have a hybrid style of both of them. I sort of blend them all together. That's what I want to do with it, rather than having two different styles. I was telling Kevin when I spoke to him um, when when I was a kid. I'd, I've done a little bit of boxing and I've done a little bit of judo. Um, but when I was a kid, uh, it would have been between 80 and 82, we were stationed in Cyprus. And there was this sergeant who was an RMP who started his judo club. And I think he was a brown belt in judo or something. And But one of the things he used to get us to do almost every other week is he would get us to spar blindfolded. He would blindfold you, spin you round till you were dizzy, and then chuck you both on the mats. And you would, you would go, you'd go all like, like, you know, judo. So there's no strikes, but you're full on wrestling, blindfolded and dizzy. And he, cause he had this mindset. Cause obviously he was, a uh, an RMP and uh, for people who don't know, that's Royal Military Police. Basically he was a sergeant in the seventies. And I'd imagine he had to handle himself pretty, pretty well to ta- tackle some of those squaddies, you know, and he. Yeah, uh, and and that's what he used to do with us. That's how he taught us to fight. And then when I came back to the UK and joined a judo club, I got kicked out because I put an, I put an elbow into someone's back because <laughs> he taught us how to like you know right fight if you really because his whole man you, you need to understand this you need to know how to take on adults you know and he he'd wrestle you he he would he would grapple with you it would be quite rough not like it wouldn't beat the confidence out of you you know. But he, he, you know, he was just like, no, you need to know, know what a man's strength looks like it and um, feels like, you know. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just, it was just weird when you were talking about grappling and stuff. And I was saying to Kevin about it, and that, that's some of my fondest memories. <laughs> Blindfolded, but getting the shit kicked out. That's quite unique training methods. I don't know. I might try that this week with <laughs> the guys. But I'll I tell you, you what, said, it's, you know, it's good. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. What, okay. what was really good? Because you were dizzy, and you're on the mats. And you're blindfolded and your kids. So you, you, you don't really have that confidence that you need is you often bump into somebody because you can't see them. And then both of you have to react. And the first thing you're trying to do is grab that, you know, grab their collars, their cuffs, their arms. You're trying to grab something and it's all feel. It's all touch and feel. And you're completely blindfolded. And because you're, um, you're, you're a bit spiked up on adrenaline and you're dizzy. The, the, it, you have to really focus and you know and when you try grappling blindfolded it's all feel and yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. I, i've closed my eyes before I, you yeah know, close my eyes and just see how to get that feel um you go through little periods when you as you start to get good and people give you these little tips and maybe close your eyes when you train and get the feel of it and all that and i'm sort of i'm out of that stage now where, I've, where i can do well you can i can do that no problem 
Um, but I like what you said with the guy. He said he taught you to fight. So he was teaching yeah. you judo. Yeah. But he was teaching you to fight. And I, that's my thought process on it. Mm. Um, I'm not a self-defense guy by any means because people who know like the sport we do, there's they put it into like different corners. Like they, there's the self-defense guys and there's the sport guys. For me, it's everything. It's the same thing. We're doing the same thing. Yeah. The guys who compete sports have got no problem doing having a scrap on the street. No problem at all. Yeah, they won't have an issue. Self-defense guys, not an issue competing. Um, for me, especially at my age now, and especially with the job I've been doing, and I think I did a, I did a period of time where I worked on my own in, in as a contractor. So I was just out and about on my own hostile country. So having that knowing that mm. I could handle myself, because you can't always pull a gun on people. That's mm. going to get you thrown into jail, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're not coming out of that in a, in a, in a, in a healthy manner when you're on your own. So being able to hand, transition sort of my sports skills into sort of a, a defensive style or a defensive aspect. I still have that thought in the head now. And I want all these guys who I train to be able to be saying all the time, I want you be, I want you to be able to go down the street, you and your wife and your kids, and you're at the bank and you're taking money out and someone wants to take your money off you and take something from your wife. And you're going to make sure that's the worst decision they ever made. Yeah. Because the funny thing is, them. As we're talking about this, I remember him now, some of the things he used to talk to us about. And the reason for blindfolding this was because he said, and he's obviously talking about his experience as an RMP, about you, you, you're you going to have fights in the dark. But of course, an RMP is dealing with squaddies pissed out of their head at three o'clock in the morning on a winter's yeah. night. So he's actually talking about himself outside nightclubs with no lights on. You know, you've got to know how to take... Yeah, and of course, I, I, I'm talking to you and I'm realising this six-year-old, seven-year-old kid is like, Oh shit! That's what he's on about. I've yeah. only just, I've only just—it's taken me forty years to join the dots up. <laughs> I'm glad helps. Yeah, but it's true. You know, we do this sport thing every single day, doing it day in day out, and it's got to be worth something. You know, it can't just—it's yeah. not just for the competition, the mat, and doing it, it like you know to link it into mindset as well as uh, there's a confidence, there's an air of confidence about yourself, and that in itself can help you in that sort of situation. People look, predators will look for the weak always. Yes. And and that's the same for me. On the battlefield, we're looking for that weak link. We're predators. We're going out there to find a weak link. We're going out at nighttime when we know you're weakest because you can't see at night and I can because I want all the advantages on my side. So that's what they're doing like here in the UK. They're looking and they'll pick weak people. They won't pick the guy who looks like he can handle himself because mm. like, it's not worth it because he looks so I make sure I carry myself with an air of confidence when I walk anywhere, and regardless of how many people there, I walk with a sense of I am a confident person. Yeah. So it's like it's not worth it. It's not worth I, it. And that, that's I'm just going to say I, I want people to understand is when we're talking about confidence, as when somebody looks at you, it's not because they think you're going to beat them. That's not what they're looking at. What they're thinking is he's not going to submit to me. Yeah, it's not. I, weird, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to look at John. You know, I want a target. I want somebody to pick out for whatever reason. Mugging, I'm a dickhead, whatever it is. And I'm going to look at John, and John is either going to look like somebody who will submit, or he looks like somebody who's going to, mate, let's see which one of us can do this. And if and if you look yeah. like that guy, they're not going to bother you. No, yeah. not in the slightest. Um, yeah, that I, I totally, totally, totally believe in that, and but what people also have to have, though, you know, I always say this, confidence without knowledge will get you killed as well. So you've yeah. got to make sure you've got the knowledge to back up that confidence. You know, having a bit of bravado on you can get you in a lot of trouble too uh, if you haven't got confidence, the skill set to back it up. Well, it's, it's funny because, like, you know, Kevin and I were, were talking about, you know, cause we did the hypnosis with Vinnie Shawman uh, on his course. And there's always a couple of Muay Thai guys there or a couple of grapplers or trainers and there was a guy there, um, I forgot it, Phil, oh shit, I don't want to say his name because I know I've got it wrong. He, he was two times Muay world champion. He, he just no, nothing in a million years tells you that guy knows how to break your legs in one kick. Just nothing, you know. And you get this, you go around gyms, you go around any of these places like that. There's always, um, he was telling me about a farmer that you have at your club. Pete. Pete, Pete the farmer. 
<laughs> he still comes up a couple of times a week and does a few rounds to keep himself in it. If you're a kid in a paper shop, you're not going to know that that guy will, will pull you to the ground and choke you out in five seconds. He's a bad man, Pete. He's 65. Yeah. I put him up against most people. Yeah. I put him up against most people. Yeah, he's, a, he's not a guy to mess with him. <laughs> and you, feel, you know when you touch him and you feel him, he feels like oak. Yeah. He's like an old tree when you touch him. He's like steel. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> so a, that's what's like. No, no, I, I, my podcast is open for swearing. I don't care. Um, I, I obviously grew, grew up in the country because uh, I live in Wiltshire, and and over the years I, I've come across a few old boy farmers who were like years past their time and still trying to do a bit of work. They they shake your hand or pat you on the back. You just like fuck, like you, you you think twice about you know suddenly i remember all my manners from being a kid and it's yes sir yeah how can i help sir <laughs> and suddenly all that respect is real yeah 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 these like you say they're oak they are solid you know it, yeah oh you, look what a guy he's such a great guy and he's um he has inspired me pete he really has um his story his background ever and you know the things he's been through in his life and he inspires me that he's 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 that age and he's there and he's still yeah. putting the work in with the young guys and I watched him I watched him mess up a couple of eighteen year old lads. Oh, I can week. believe it. I can believe it. Uh, yeah. Since yeah. he's inspirational, that guy. Because you know pe people and and this is where you you were just saying like don't be fooled by bravado because skill set when you're at a certain level is is just I I was watching um. I was watching one of the Kevin sent me some catch wrestling videos to watch when I was watching one. Who, is it Billy Moore? Who, who was the guy who always had the suit and the trophy on? Uh, Billy Robinson. Billy. Yeah. And he, he's kind of like considered the, the guy that held it together and he had the wooden shed and all of that. And there's this clip where he's helping a young lad understand the move and he's still got his suit on he's still wearing his strawberry he's about 80 years old and he puts this guy in a submission hole and said that's how you do it as if he's just rolled you know he's just like fuck you know I mean? he, he could have just been popping a tea bag into a cup of tea yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was just like the his agility that that whole presence that whole state of mind he had at that age and like i said i mean it's old school anyway so you know being sat, sat, uh, sat there in your sunday best it's not unusual but to be able to get down at his age wrestle like that and do that on somebody who's basically 16 17 and it's nothing to do with strength physical condition it's just his experience and skill set it's so you know it, it's I realise I'm starting to waffle a little bit here, but it's, you know, like those Japanese films of the 80s or the 90s where the master can do the most craziest thing. It's like that in real life. It is. It is. And, and that's the dream. Mm. That's the dream. You know, I want to be able to do this at an old age and um, put the work in and I want to be able to be able to still go with these young lads and it gets harder every day. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy uh, with these young guys, fit, strong young lads. Um, I'm not old by any stretch yet, but um, even, you know, 43 now, it's, um, I want to be doing it at 83 from still yeah. around. Without a doubt. So how did you and Kevin get together in the first place? Ah, through the mutual love of combat sports, man, punching each other in the face. <laughs> so it's a great leveller. Yeah, um, I just, I mentioned earlier that when I first started, it was up in Salisbury. Well, when I left the army, I've been training there for about three months, left the army, so I was moved back up here. And I'm originally from Kirby in Liverpool. Uh, I didn't want to move back there. Um, I wanted to move sort of close to it because I, I had a contracting job. So I knew I was going to be away a lot. and uh, I wanted my family safe, secure, but within that range of support. So we moved to Ormskirk, which is a few miles out of Kirby, little market town. And they've got a little gym down there. It used to be called um, Fit for Life. And they used to have a cage in there. And there's all sorts of stuff going on there. There's Muay Thai going on. There's guys doing private training. 
there was a good mate of ours, Dave Faulkner. He was in there doing submission grappling. Uh, our coach, Chris Thompson, was in there, like, punching people's heads in, you know, for, for, for money, for privates. So it was this, like, weird little gym in this little market town that has a bunch of guys who wanted a scrap. And me, I'm like, I just come into the town. I, met, I, I linked in with Dave again. He was an old mate from when we were young kids. And he's like, look, you know, I think it was something like, like there's guys meeting on a Sunday, turn up, yeah. turned up with me gloves. There you go. Didn't know who Kev was. He didn't know who I was. And over that sort of period of time, me coming in and out of the country, flying back, I'd only have three weeks at a time in the country. And then three weeks, three weeks were pretty much spent training, come home, train. And I just bounce around people. And Kev was one of them people who were there who had spar with and, um, we sort of just became sort of friendly, I'd say, yeah. just friendly. And oh, there's Kev. Yeah, Kev. And then our coach, Chris, um, I'd had an MMA fight. It was my second one. I'd had like a smoker in a gym against some dudes, just random, didn't know who I was, no weights, no full full, full rules. Um, I won that. I was like, right, I want to do it again. I want to do it properly. So, um, But I got, a major, I got a major injury. I lost that fight anyway. And then I blew my ACL out training. And mm. Chris was like, why don't you train in the gi? There's a few of us doing it. Uh, we're doing jiu-jitsu in the gi. You know, you're a little bit older now. You're probably not going to make a career of MMA. Get your, get, your knee injured, get your knee healed up and come and train. And that's what I did. And that's what I met Kev. He was with Chris, training with Chris. So I started them, like, wiped out like Kev with Tom up with Chris. And that's yeah. how we met. And then we just stayed training partners then. We were just training partners within the same team. Yeah. And it was only when our coach, Chris, he moved abroad and we were sort of at a loose end of, right, the team's changing. There's a new team now, a new boss sort of thing, new coach. And it just wasn't a fit for me. And I decided to leave. And I'd phone Kevin, said, Kev, listen, I'm leaving, mate. Um, and we were mates by then. Like, yeah. we were going out for dinner and stuff. Our girl, my wife is, uh, fiance, they were mates. Yeah. Me, Kevin, Chris, always together, having gone for meals and stuff. So we were mates by then. So, and I just said, I just gave him a phone call. I said, dude, I've just had a phone call. I'm, I'm not going to go back to the gym now. Um, I'm going to set up my own. And he was like, ooh, ooh, um, what, what's your plan? And I just yeah. said, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to do this. And it's something I've always wanted to do. And what do you reckon? And he's like, well, do you want to go? Let's go and do it together. Because he was, again, he was, a, he was at like sort of, he was in a weird spot too, you know, me and Kev were the senior guys in the gym. Um, mm. Our coach had gone. I didn't want to be the senior guy with some other coach who I didn't know, didn't yeah. know him. I went, all right, I'll start my own. And then Kev was like, well, I'll go in with you. And that was the decision. Okay, let's do, let's do it together. And it's been, let's say, let me fly in. Yeah. So what exactly do you, or what is there a, you know, is it just strictly jiu-jitsu? Is it, because you said about you're kind of a combination of several styles, but you also focus on the reality of like, eh, if this kicks off, I I'm going to choke you out. So Brazilian, uh, I'm a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, I Kev. Um, so that's what I'm graded in. Uh, we've been doing that since... God knows, um, last 10 years or so. But I'd been submission grappling as well in MAA prior to that. Um, so our club, we teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, or we just call it Jiu-Jitsu, because yeah. that's what it is, Jiu-Jitsu. And we teach submission grappling. It's a 50-50 mix. So we're either in the kimono or we're in the shorts. Um, additionally, on top of that, I then do sort of like the defensive stuff for, for contractors of military. So I just took all the best parts of what I do as a sport and put them give it a real world aspect as well as because there's a need for it. Like I say, yeah. if I'm working on my own hostile country, I cannot start smacking people about because I will go, I've got arrested and I'll be in it. And I knew a guy, uh, I know a guy now, and we're we're, fr we're friendly now. Um, he spent he spent seven years in an Afghan prison, uh, self defence, shooting someone, and. He was working on his own. That's when it happened. He ended up getting lifted at the airport. Um, he's wrote a book about it uh, called The Seventh Circle. Uh, if you check that out, The Seventh Circle, very good book. So I just didn't want that to happen to me. So training 
wise was the same. The sport was the same. I just added on to now, now I'm carrying a gun. Now I'm wearing body armour, which has a, a different aspect to what I do. Um, because my weight's different, my footwork's different, my balance is different. Uh, people can grab me differently. So I needed, I needed to blend all the best bits of what I do as a sport into something that was based on reality for, for guys who are working in dangerous places. So I have that. That's my own private thing. Kev doesn't jump in on that. Um, I'd like him to. He could jump yeah. in, help me out. <laughs> um, but no, it's just mine. That's just mine. So as a club, it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu um, and uh, Submission Grappling. And then I've got my own sort of sideline um, for guys who are working away. So it's really good. It's based on reality, that. Yeah, yeah. Because th- th- this is the thing, isn't it, is um, like going back slightly to what you were say- uh, we were talking about at the beginning when you got shot in the hand, you know, and, and, and I have a little bit of not experience getting shot in the hand or anything like that, but I, I've been to a few boxing gyms, I've done a bit of sparring, I've done judo and stuff like that. And nothing, you don't know what's going to happen until someone's got you in a chokehold and you're like, fuck, I can't breathe. Uh, you don't know how you're going to react until somebody punches you in the face and you see stars, you know, and that could just be a bit of light sparring, but one person's light sparring is another person's full-on punch, you know, because people are at different levels, different strengths and stuff, you know, Farmer Pete, he can grab you like a, like a mole grip, you know, <laughs> and he's just like, you're not going anywhere. And it's the, the it's this thing, isn't it? It's, I forgot where I was going with that conversation. Um, it's because I'm a professional podcaster. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> so it's like an inoculation to it. Yeah. So we we have things like in the military, we had like, we we call it, it was called battle inoculation. And you were put under that stress. Um, things like you'd be in a secure location and they'd fire rounds at you. So you knew exactly what it sounded like. Um, you know, the use of pyrotechnics, explosives, uh, using the words kill, capture a lot. Um, then key then, then key words in when we're talking the training side of it you will go in there and kill that person um, that's all inoculation so when it happens you should react as you're trained um, that's the same with the grappling if we grapple in the right context at the right speed the right power the right strength the right intensity when it happens for real you should be okay but not everybody does um, and a lot of you know, experience plays a big part of it Guy I've been with before, um, numerous people in, in, in shootouts in the army and guys just didn't want to be there. Like, yeah. Don't want to be here. As a contractor, uh, I've seen numerous guys just not want to be there. And you're like, why are you, why are you here then? You know, this, this is your job. You get paid for this. And I one guy and it's too late now. No, it was way too late by then. You're, you're right in the thick of it, mate. This is too late to say you don't want to be here no more. And he's just like, man, I ain't get paid for this. <laughs> it's too yeah. late you should have so, so for me things like that are all it's pre- i prepare myself for them things so i'm like it will happen and i'll play it out in my head when this happens this is what i will do and i play that out on the road so if i was going like on a job on a mission whatever i'm doing i'm like if it happens now this is what i will do and i'll pick a, a location i'm going to move to etc cetera, etc cetera. so if it did happen then Good. I've got me. I prepared me route out, but I'm also it's battle inoculation. I'm training my brain to to accept it when it happens. So you know, getting blown up in your car. A lot of people get wow. That was nothing. I was like, yeah, okay. I was drilled. I knew. I trained it a million times. And when it happens, car's blown up. Well, I'm fine. I'm good to go. I carry out the drills I was trained to do. But a lot of people don't do all that sort of head stuff where you're like, that's the extra stuff. You know that that little bit extra. People will just do the bare minimum, get paid, do what I've got to do, do my job. The guys who are really good, they do the extra. They're training in their own time. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're training up in the head as well all the time. So when it happens, the good, the good, the good. And I take that into what I do now with the sport. Just have that in my head. It's funny because it reminds me of that um, quote that goes around with Kobe Bryant, where people he said like people don't see the ten thousand times I missed, and they don't see the hours. Like everyone talks about, yeah, he was this good, and he never stopped training. And people will say the same thing about Ronaldo. He still trains today. He's still trying to get better, 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 better. And then like, oh, do you see that goal he scored at the vital moment? Sort of thing. You know, even though he's thirty six, thirty seven years old, and you just like, 
And it's, it's exactly the same principle as you're talking about. It's just like, yeah, I might be at this level. How can I be better? How can I, can, how can I keep myself safe? What do I do if it goes wrong? How, how am I prepared right now? And it's, it's kind of never switching off from the, like, just there's always an opportunity to stay focused. There's always an opportunity to get that next level because the difference between the best in the world and the, the, the nearly rounds is the two or three percent. That's it. That's it. Well, you seen like you mentioned to me when we when we through the text and that, and you were like, "Well, I seen you training with like weapons and stuff," and I'm like, "I train all the time. I want to get better, and I probably won't deploy again. I pro it'd have to something bad would have to happen for me to go back away. Now that's not because I don't want to. I'd go away tomorrow and be happy, quite happy. But you know, you've <laughs> got to go. There's there's got to be an end to that." There's yeah. got to be an end state where you go, right, I'm done. And for me, if I hadn't been shot, I would still be working today. I'd be out in Africa somewhere or Ukraine doing something. But that gave me my out. And I was like, right, I've got me out now. But that didn't take away the drive and the will to be good. I yeah. still want to be good at what I do. And, and if the time ever does come where I have to go away and deploy again, which probably won't happen, I'll be ready. There'll be no skill phase. I'm probably better now than I was then. Yeah. I'm training, I'm training all the time. So I could happily, I feel I could happily fit into any team now, any country, and do a good job, you know, and keep people safe, keep myself safe in that environment. The problem that people have is, especially in my industry, was the, there's a big ego in, yeah. in it. Huge. And everyone's good, apparently. Apparently everyone's good. I'm good. Yeah. Show me. Show me. The only time you can show someone that you're really good is when it goes wrong. And that doesn't happen all the time. And when it does, it's only a few select people who get involved. So show me how you're getting good then. Well, I get good through training, but when are you training? And that's when it stops. They're not training. On the time off, they're sat watching movies, they're sat watching DVDs, they're, they're playing pool instead of like weapons out and the weapon training and when it comes to like a dedicated training period, they just want to do enough to get in because it's really hot. Yeah. You know, and you're like, no, and there's training tonight. If everybody wants, we're going to train in the skills house. We're going to do low light stuff with torches and stuff. Anybody involved? No, because they want to watch a movie, go to gym. So that's the extra that people who are really good at it put in all the time. Well, because that's that thing. When you, when you were talking on the, in the interview with the enemy at the gates, there's that bit. You talk about the fact that when you've been shot, you're still communicating to other guys and you, you, you and two other guys, you still are trying to find insurgents. You know what you can and can't do. And there's a point during that where you mention that the insurgent, you, you become aware that the insurgents know their way around the camp, which means they've had some form of inside information because they were navigating everything too quickly. And that's that thing about there's a difference between, yeah, this is great, blah, blah, blah. And holding your mind when you know this isn't right. You know, I'm experienced enough to know that those insurgents shouldn't be having so much success so quickly because they know where they're going, they know what they're doing, as if they live on the camp. So at that point, you mention something about you know something's not right. And that then becomes a difference between people that fold and people that don't because you've been shot. So it, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, that just, it always fascinates me, that that mindset where you can still, but if we do this, because we, like you said, the drills, the training, the outcome is the outcome. And listen, I'd, I'd still, I think, look at, you know, it's, it's okay in hindsight, looking back, and I'm like, we we had a, we still had a part to play there, my small little team, and I was bolstered up by two dudes who were like, you know, really brave guys come looking for me to make sure I was okay. Um, contact they're two of my best mates in the world you know anyway mm. so they were never going to sit round you knew I was hurt but we could have I still think now we should have just carried on going and wrapped it up sooner you know it took a long time to find the last couple of guys um, but you know in, in the movies you go oh yeah it's great just get shot in your hands and, and you carry on and it must be good hand as well my right hand yeah, I know you said. I'm training left-handed too, so I'm like, okay, I can shoot left-handed too. That's fine. Um, but you are a hindrance to people. Mm. 
there's other hindrances too. We can't see at night. Yeah. How much we want to, we cannot see at night. It's pitch black. So sometimes the safer option is to, right, let's push out, keep, keep where we are, guns up at doorways, and when they come to us, we can hit them, and that's what happened in the end. So, um, yeah, I, again, I don't know. Where I, I didn't know where I was going with that then either. But, um, it's, yeah, it's known when people are, when you find out that a little bit of additional information, and you're like, ooh, and people can people can sort of fold, like you say, um, and then some people thrive. Yeah, people thrive in that environment, and I'm glad to say I thrive in that environment. I'm quite happy to say. <laughs> so, because I'm just conscious that you and I have been chatting for just over an hour now, and and I don't want to hold you all afternoon. Um, but so, say there's a 16 year old listening to this now, and he's like, okay, I, I, he maybe doesn't know what he wants to do exactly, but. What are the things that you did right? I loved it. I loved it. That's what I did right. I loved it. I had a passion. That was me passion. I was set on. And at a young age, I went on it and I followed it to wherever it took me. And 20 in total, even though it's the path sort of, I moved from one job to another, it was, it was the same sort of way. Um, I had the same passion and I loved it. Um, that's what you've got to do. You've got to love what you get, what you do. And if you if you love it, I know it's that cliche. And if you love it, it's yeah, never it's work. True. It's true. still work. It's still hard. Still, I start to work really hard. I'm still, I'm still tired and fatigued, and I still like family suffered because of the job I loved. Family suffered massively for the job I loved. Luckily, my wife's amazing, and we're still you know it never broke us because she's amazing. But you know, kids lost out because dad wanted to go on an adventure all the time and. You know, because so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's true, isn't it? It's true. No, she, it is. You know, she but, reminds me of that. Hey, she reminds me of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's true. It's it's true. It's true. But you know, you and I both at the beginning spoke about ha having dads around that weren't really much point having around. So it, it's swings and roundabouts. Oh, you know? hey, that's played in my head a million times. I'm like, so I. I know, like you said, we're conscious of time, but... Oh, no, I've got loads of time. I, I just uh, don't want to, you know, I just, you know, it's just like, I, I hit always, you up and said it'd I be always, an hour. <laughs> I always thank my dad for showing me how not to do it. Yeah. That's the thing I can thank him. I can't thank him for nothing else because he was, he was useless. Um, but I got to see how not to do it. So then I was like, right, loving, got to be extremely loving. My kid today, kiss, I get kissed on the lips. He's 14, man. Yeah. How many how many adult, how many fourteen year old boys give the cats out of kiss and everything like that? The eldest yeah. son kisses me, hugs me nonstop. So gave a lot of love. Um yeah. and that's what I received back. Cause I didn't get that. So I was make sure, give loads of love. Um I wanted to be around loads. That's the one thing because he wasn't but and that's the one thing I always go, oh, you know what? Yeah. I was away a lot. I, I, I overcompensated with when I'm home. We go on big holidays. You can have everything you want. You never have to want yeah. to the spoiled brats now. Um, so I maybe messed up there a little bit. But I think you've got to love what you do. That's my advice to anyone. You're 16. Just love it. If you don't love it, do something else. Yeah. Like, I love what I do now. I yeah. love my job. I love I love being uh, a partner with Kev in the gym. I, I love it. It's my passion. It's my, my training is my passion. I love that. Um, and again... I hated training people years ago. I hated it. I had no time for it. My head was all about, no, if I'm training people, that takes me away from doing what I'm meant to be doing, which is war fighting, being the best at that. And then as I've got older, I started to enjoy passing that knowledge on to people to the point where now I love doing that. So I love it is me, is me message. So that's a good one though, because you know, people, like you say, people cliche, like be passionate. Um, you know, know your passion, blah blah blah. But actually, it, when you find it, you got to work hard at it. It's no one's going to gift it to you after that just because you love it. No, I've grafted my my. How great I'm! Great. You and me I've both. It's really hard for it, you know. I have done. I put my body through the mill, my mind through the mill, uh, to be the best. Uh, uh, the, to be the best I can be. Um, best people say it all the time to be the best version of me. Um, I competed with other people. I wanted to be better than other people. Um, I think I'm just trying to be as good as I can be for me now. Yeah, that's where I'm at. 
have you ever noticed common traits in people that succeed them? That is one of them, is the loving it. Everyone I knew who's good at it loved what they did. They yeah. loved it with a passion. They were willing to put in extra hours. And I, it, it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're willing to put in the extra work, that dedication, the commitment. You know, it, it's, it's, you could Google it and it'll tell you what you need to do, be yeah. successful. It, it's, not a, it's not a secret. If you want to be successful at something, Google it, how to be successful, and there's a million people telling you how. Um, you've just got to follow the blueprint. Uh, it's it's not rocket science. That's what you people say to me. It ain't rocket science, John. And it's not. It's not. Be dedicated. Uh, be committed to the. Be committed to it, and love it. There you go. That's perfect. So, completely random to finish up with. If you could be at any place, any time, and I know you're a music fan because I've listened to some of your podcasts. Is any place, any time. Where would you be? What would you be driving and what are you listening to? Okay. I would be in Thailand right now. I would be driving. It's a tough one. I would be driving Magnum's Ferrari. Yes, 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 yes. And I'd be listening to the doors. I like it. No, I like it. What a question. That was amazing. I'll be thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, Mag that's Magnum's amazing. Ferrari. How did you think of that? What no, a question. I, um, I, yeah, I, I, there's a, it's always a question I either like to open with or start with. I love and, it. And the, there's a few things that... I'll tell you how I came up with it. There's a chap that I did a podcast with called Paul Dolden. Paul Holden or Paul Dolden. My apologies, I've got his name wrong. And he does his hobby is car detailing, and it's almost become a part-time YouTube channel. It's, it's you know, and he gets invited to car dealing shows and everything detail, you know. And he's, but it's, it's just his hobby. <clears throat> um, but he's passionate about it. He loves it, and he's also into the eighties. He loves eighties music and eighties cars and stuff like that. So at the end of the podcast, I just asked him if you'd be any place in time, what would you be driving? What you'd be listening to? <laughs> And then I, you know, like you say, as you do more and more things, you get the basics right, and then you start asking sort of questions that you might be afraid to ask somebody. That's cool. And and I was just like, there, it's that, yeah, that one just always seems to, and I get such diverse answers from it. And I just, yeah, I, I just love the question because you get like as soon as you said Magnum's Ferrari, I was like, yes, I know what you're on about. I know that car, you know, that and that. Yeah, I love it. I love Magnum. Okay, yeah. I love car. Yeah, yeah. That that program back in the day was the, it's such. You just tuned in, didn't you? It just. Hey, have you seen the shorts I wear? Have you no. seen me Instagram? Check me Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magnum yeah. PI inspiration. Yeah, yeah. There it is. That's where it comes from. You see, this was growing up in the eighties, kids. <laughs> I know. We had real, real figures to look up to. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. they, they technically were the, you know. The con they were private contractors. Yeah, how the women, brilliant. Yeah. But that's that's why I like that question because you always get um, a really good insight into somebody just by where they'd be, what they drive, and what 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 music they like. And yeah. you know, because I know, like I said, that podcast I was trying to listen to, um, and I kept getting interrupted because of people messaging my phone. Um, you were talking. Um, who would? What was the music you were talking about? Um, Pink was it Pink Floyd? I oh, went Pink Floyd. There you go. Pink Floyd could have replaced the doors yeah. easily enough. Yeah, but you, you and your friend were talking about Pink Floyd, and then and, and you just you you both just went on this thing about uh, the music, and I was just like, yeah. So, and it's it's just and the other question I always like is what what do people do right? Is it's oh, hard. You know, that, but it's, it's that is my next question. What, what do you do right? Is because and then that comes from i used to watch loads of youtube videos about how to do things and everything is five things you do wrong five things i, I hate seeing 20 things that you shouldn't do and at the end of it i realized oh, i'm not any wiser mm. i want to know what i do right you know because like you were, like i say at the very beginning if you when it comes to mindset and when people say well, okay well how do i what, what do i need to do right the basics get a solid foundation and it holds up everything if you can do that right, 
you can get away with all sorts of mistakes. You've just answered my your question for me. There you go. That's what I do, right? I do the basics well. No matter what I do, the basics are well, and that's it. Um, like uh, we got, we have a quote on our wall um, by the head coach of ASW. He's one of the found, he's the founder member with a guy called Jack Mountford uh, back in the day, and we have it on the wall. We got it spray painted because it means a lot, and it's it's do the get the basics right first. Once you got them right. That's when you can add the glitz and the glam. That's true. So for me, that's what I do right. I get the basics right. And that's a great place to stop. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you. Yes.